Are you set? I'm good. Right, then we should sing this theme tune. Do 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 bling 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 bling. No, you're gonna put that in. You're gonna have to do that now. That's gonna be the episode intro. Oh no. I'm Matt Godbold, and I'm Ben Rady, and this is Two's Compliment, a programming podcast. Hey Ben. Hey Matt. How you doing? Great. It's another Friday. It's another podcast recording day. Mm-hmm. And you've you came to me with an idea already. I did. I had a I had a thought, which is most unusual. Async await. And asynchronous programming in general and why we do it. And threads and all the things. There's a whole this is, this topic could go on forever, but like all Hopefully of our topics, can, really, yes. they're deliberately vague because um, uh, we haven't really thought about them very much. So right, right. <laughs> that's uh, that's the thing. So yes, that's interesting. You said async a weight. Is that how you pronounce that? Or is that you, not I would how say async a weight, and I wonder if that's async. a British English thing. Oh. No, you await something async. rather than a weight, or is it because you said async? Because I would yeah, say no, that's async. just me wanting there to be uh, alliteration. Is that what that is? I mean, it's alliterative anyway, right? Because they both have an A yes, sound at the beginning. But I'm but trying it's, to emphasize emphasize. I think the is alliteration <laughs> in async await. So we better say what that is. What is async await? Async await. Um, well, it's a it's a it's a programming style, I guess, is what I would call it. Yeah. It's a technology. It's a programming style. It's a floor wax. It's a dessert topping. Um, <laughs> What's that no, from? I think it's like an SNL bit from oh, right. back in my very, very, very early days. Um, but yeah, it's 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 well, it's a solution to a problem actually. Okay, and we should talk about what that problem is. Yeah, which is if you have a program that has no threads mm-hmm. and has no async magic, is just a series of instructions. Uh, and that program does things uh, that are I.O. bound, like, for example, fetching a bit of data from a remote server okay. or, uh, you know, performing a database query or even reading a file. Right. And it is the, the progress of that program is, is blocked on that information. It can't go forward until right. yep. you've retrieved the information that you need. Then your program is sitting there or the CPU usually is sitting there doing not very much while you're waiting for this, you know, favicon ICO file to be <laughs> downloaded from a server somewhere halfway across the world uh, or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and so it could be doing a lot more and you, you could be getting a lot more out of your computing power by not simply just waiting for it to do that, but by running other parts of your program or a right. different program or other things. Well, so while that's taking happening. the other side there, just just quickly, obviously mm-hmm. in a modern operating system, the mm-hmm. operating system is going to have other things to do. You know, mm-hmm. it's got animating GIFs to to keep moving in the background. Mm-hmm. It's got right. you know, dancing hamsters, the, the like. Um, or other programs will take advantage of your CPU. But if if you, as in the user... Mm-hmm. are running a single program that has a single thread of execution mm-hmm. and it is blocked, then, yeah, you're going to have to wait. 
And yeah. if there's other useful things that that program could otherwise be doing, well, they'll happen after the file has come down, right. not before. So right. obviously the normal solution to this is like I'll make some threads and then I'll have all right. these complicated um, mutex and work queues or something, something, something. So is that async? Yeah, no. So I, I think threads are one solution to this problem. And async is maybe another solution to this problem. Um, but the underlying problem, I think, is that uh, for a single sort of program, you want to be able to maximize uh, CPU time, reduce latency, increase throughput. All of these things can be achieved by just making better use of the CPU. Mm -hmm. And uh, one way to do that is by having threads. Another way to do that is with async. Um, and I think that either way you go, there are some sort of like head twisting complicated problems that you can run into. Uh, some might be easier to deal with than others. Some might be easier to test than others, mm -hmm. but you're, this is the classic programming technique of solving one problem by creating another problem. <laughs> <laughs> Regular expressions, for example. Yes, exactly. If, for it's <laughs> right. if, the, if the R value of your problem growth is less than one, then you've done a good job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I suppose the this hypothetical program you said that's fetching something or reading a file or doing whatever, the assumption here is that there are other things that that program could be doing in order mm -hmm. to continue. I mean, let's say it's a word count program and we've given it a list of files mm -hmm. and it's going to open up the files and like naively I would write for each file in list of files, open mm -hmm. file F, read every line, count how many lines there are, add them up and print it out at the end. That would be like mm -hmm. a not unreasonable way to write that piece of code. Mm -hmm. But for all you know, there's multiple drive spindles. Some of these things are on the network or whatever. And, mm -hmm. you know, you can easily saturate uh, the PCI bus or the network link or whatever if you were doing more than one file access at a time. Mm -hmm. But you're not. You're just reading one after another. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. how do you... The async await is a solution to the problem of if I know that I have multiple things I could be doing at once, how can I more easily for some definition of easily, write a program that looks like a kind of normal program still, mm -hmm. um, isn't too far removed from that for loop that I just described, but without tying myself in all these kind of operating system level thread spawning uh, and uh, synchronization issues that I might otherwise have. And so should we talk a little bit about what a, a straw man kind of uh, uh, implementation of this thing might look like? Yeah, yeah, I think that's um, good. So, I mean, if it was uh, this this uh, word counting thing, then pr pr uh, in in uh, one way you could spawn one thread per um, job, mm -hmm. per file, and then yeah. let those threads run their separate ways and then sort of have some kind of collect all the threads together at the end and look at the answer and add those all up. That would be a perfectly mm -hmm. sensible way of doing this. But in the async await world, you need a framework that understands how to do input output operations that um, can sort of cooperatively multitask. I think that's the key here is threads means that we're actually using operating system resources mm -hmm. to create multiple execution threads at the operating system level. There are literally potentially multiple CPUs could be involved and these things could be running at once on multiple CPUs. But that's not the kind of problem we're trying to solve here because the CPUs mm -hmm. are, are not the problem. It's the waiting for files that's the problem. Mm -hmm. In the async await world, 
you are scheduling pieces of work with callbacks mm-hmm. somewhere deep down in the bo- in the bowels of the the uh, the the framework. You've said open a file, but just call me back when the file's opened. Don't yeah. get, don't block. Don't block. Like open the file and read this stuff, but don't wait until you're done reading it to return from that call. Right. And that's really the, the the trick behind the back of all of these async, async yeah. await is that now you suddenly have coroutines mm-hmm. that are powering this uh, system of uh, sort of cooperatively multitasking uh, all the different things that you want to do in a single operating system thread, one mm-hmm. after another, as they become ready, like the file contents have become available, and now your uh, your uh, uh, your code can operate on it and then let's, let's talk about like like actually what the the syntax of that looks like you typically mm-hmm. um hence the async away is that you tag functions of your program as being async which is a big hint to the framework or language that you're in to say this function can be suspended halfway through and can sort of return early in some way mm-hmm. um, and then when it hits an await within that uh async function what we're saying is um, do some work, but actually park me here, and when that work is ready, come back to me. Yeah, yeah. I think the trick there is that that sounds a bit like a thread, and in yeah. sort of lo- logically, it is a th- thread of execution. There's like a, a stack and there's a sequence of of, of instructions that, per- that that pertain to a single kind of um, mm-hmm. idea that you're doing, a function that you're running, mm-hmm. but. There isn't an operating system resource associated with it. There's literally just a big list somewhere in the framework of here's all the things I know I need to do when, I don't know, this file read has completed or this right. network access is done or um, or somebody deliberately yields and says, hey, I, someone else is go to, 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 right. to run now. And quite often those things are implemented with an event loop, right? So you'll have basically a queue of events and then you'll have basically just like a while true loop that is consuming those events one at a time and then calling back to the callbacks that 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 um, are related to those events so you know you might um, schedule a, a file read and then take in a take that event and or you know take something and say okay when this file read is done uh, generate an event put it in the in the in the queue and then when the queue when that loop sort of processes through all the events and it gets to that event it says oh well we did this file read it actually finished about you know 200 milliseconds ago but we were processing other events at that time uh now we're ready to process it so i'm going to call back all the people that were interested in this and tell them hey your your data from this file is ready now you can do what you want to do and this has the advantage like you say of being able to run in a single operating system thread um, so that you don't have to worry about the things that you have to worry about when you're doing multi-threaded programming. You don't have to worry about synchronization. You don't have to worry about threads, you know, clobbering each other's data. And in that way, it's actually much simpler because there's just this whole set of problems. And, you know, I, I will tell you from personal experience, loving tests and wanting to write tests for these kinds of things, it is quite difficult to write tests for multi-threaded code that truly give you confidence that the multi-threaded code actually works 100% of the time. Right. Um, it's quite easy to write tests that convince you that it works uh, and it only works 99% of the time. And then exactly. you, you find, oh, actually, no, yes, there is this one case that I didn't think about that it can not work. So from that standpoint, it has, uh, you know, it's kind of attractive. Absolutely. I think that's a really good way of, of phrasing what's going on. Like at the nuts and bolts level, there is, as you say, an event loop. 
there you know on a, a unix based system there's probably a select loop that's got mm-hmm. all the file handles of all the things that are going on and then as they become ready as you say things are woken up and uh described like that it puts you in mind of say how javascript and node.js do all of their work with with right. actual callbacks you know you say mm-hmm. file.open file name comma and then call this function when the file has opened and then you end up with this you know very deeply nested uh callback because you know once the file's open your your function is called which then wants to read and then of course that's another asynchronous call and before you know it you've got like 18 levels of indentation or you've got 200 Mm -hmm. disparate tiny little functions each of which then calls another tiny little disparate function and that was Mm -hmm. how javascript was for the longest time Mm -hmm. async await specifically so you can have an event loop and you can have this callback type thing without async right. await. But async right. await is at a language level feature which hides under some level of syntactic sugar that callback based mm-hmm. thing by kind of writing callbacks for you. When you say await file.read, what's really quotes happening is something like a the the function that you're in the middle of is cut at that point and turned into another function two functions like the bit before the await and then the bit immediately after the await and the bit immediately after the await is essentially turned into the callback function for the file.read mm-hmm. and so you don't need to think of it in these terms you don't need to nest things further and further and further your code for an individual like i'm the line counting function just says uh, file equals await file.open file name <laughs> something like async for uh, line in uh, file dot async read lines count plus plus mm-hmm. return count and so you've yep. just written code that looks almost exactly the way that we described for the single threaded case with just a couple of magical keywords like tagged in there behind the scenes the whole thing is rewritten to be be callback based or futures based or some of the other techniques promise that based, yeah. promise based exactly yeah um and it makes for as you say a much more testable design because it is not subject to the whims of operating system time slices or um, multiple CPUs actually executing multiple code paths at the same time, which threads mm-hmm. would be. It's mm-hmm. only when you say await, blah, does does your logical flow of instructions stop and someone else could potentially get the use of the CPU. So you'd kind of have to be aware of that under more advanced um, techniques. Like if you share a cache um, for a class and you have multiple, um, like, async awaits of your class going on at the same time you have to be aware that every time mm-hmm. you await something then potentially the cache could be being used by by someone else but it's so much more controllable and it is deterministic right. which i think is the key for things like tests yeah 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 and there's still you can still get things like race conditions in both paradigms right like you can have things that are racing they're either racing across multiple threads or sometimes uh racing to the top of the event loop, yes. right? Like depending on on uh, which events get into the queue first, you might have ex- a code that's executed in different orders. Right, and, and oftentimes can... frameworks don't necessarily specify the sequence in which, like right. if there are two things that are ready at the same tick of yeah, the clock, yeah, yeah. who goes first? In which case, you know, again, that can be something that can be exposed by tests where you're trying to puppeteer yes. time yes. and the completion of things. Yes, usually a lot of a lot of uh, both languages and frameworks are intentionally vague about how that's going to happen. Right. But yet sometimes accidentally consistent, which makes you, which sometimes will trick you into thinking that you have code that runs properly when actually that it, there are cases where it doesn't. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think what's interesting is, is that there's certain, and you sort of touched on this a little bit, is that there are levels to this. There's like the, just like, I'm just going to do a non-blocking call with a callback, right? Like that's like the most basic level of this is there's no async await syntax sugar. Um, there's not even necessarily like an event loop. Um, there's just, I'm going to, you know, the sort of select statement is sort of the classic example of this is I'm, I'm just going to do it a, a non-blocking IO call and I'm going to have some facility that, that allows me to say, when this is complete, call me back over here. But this initial call that I'm making, I want you to return immediately, right? Yeah. That's like the lowest level of this. Good old E would block in Unix. Yeah. Thing, you know, like, yeah. hey. <laughs> right. Um, and then I think one level above that are things like futures and promises and things that are not, you're not doing anything special in the language. You're not introducing new keywords. You're not doing anything there. What you're doing is just creating, you know, objects, essentially. Placeholder that, objects. Yeah. yeah. That allow you to make it a little easier to work with these kinds of callbacks, right? Where, you know, you can call a function, the function will return immediately. You'll get some object back that represents the sort of thing that you've scheduled to happen. And you can interact with that object in interesting ways. Obviously, you can just, you know, apply a callback and say like, hey, when you get my data, let me know. You can also gather a bunch of them together and say, when all of these are complete, let me know. Um, you can gather them together in ways that say, if ones fail, we'll then call this function. And if some pass, then call this other function. Um, and you can do interesting things with that as well. But that requires no language changes or language support or anything like that. That's just, right. you know, objects essentially. And then a level above that is going all the way to sort of full sort of like, yes, we're going to introduce new keywords into the language. Um, we're going to bake the sort of asynchronous non-blocking IO things into the standard library of the language. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to make this sort of like a first class citizen within the language. Um, Node.js obviously is a great example of that because they just took something that had already been in web browsers and were like, all right, well, we're just going to lean into this real hard and start building other things out of it. Um, obviously, you and I have written a lot of Python recently and Python 3, 6, three is that what something? Yeah, 3 is when they introduced the sort of um, you know, async, um, async IO uh, that, and introduced those keywords into the languages in the language. Um, but, you know, you can also just use like a third party framework. Like I certainly used um, Event Machine for Ruby for a good long time, which isn't really async await. It's more of that sort of second level that I was talking about. Right, with, with um, futures and adding callbacks to the futures yeah, or something. Or yeah, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it's really, it's it's like, there are futures, but it's 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 like it's like one and a half even. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. sort of like. Um, but the interesting thing about it is it sort of spawns this whole separate non-blocking ecosystem. And one of the things that you'll see a lot in in the Ruby world is that you have like the you know Postgres library, and then you have the Event Machine Postgres library. Yeah, and they're only kind of related to each other, and that's because like same in Python, right? You know, you've got like yeah. you know, Postgres and AIO AIO. Postgres for the same yeah, reason, yeah. and I think that's the that's one of the more uh, insidious is a little bit of a bad word to use, but like one of the mm -hmm. things that happens when you start having async libraries is that you get this separation, and because it's it's all pervasive, anything that that async library calls that itself might need to be async also needs to be async. Yeah, and that's like keyword level down, right? Like you know, so yep. you you end up with you know read file and async read file because they are very different operations. One of which returns the contents of a file, the other one returns essentially a the promise or a future yeah. of a uh, yeah. a file. And yeah, so yeah. yeah, you end up with this a bit like so like a 
I say this in like C++, once you start introducing const correctness in one place, suddenly everything needs to be const correct because right. you can't, it won't let you not be. And yep. it's the same with async. As soon as you get yep. to a point where yep. you can't do something asynchronous anymore, you're like, well, now we're, yeah. we're blocking again. Yeah, yeah. We had this running joke for a while there that it's like the glitter of the programming world. Like oh, once you start using yeah, it, it's really like a... it just gets everywhere, right? Like you can't. It's got a half can't... life of uh, yeah, yeah. Religion, measured in millennia, you never get rid of that last grain. You of never glitter really get or sand the, from the beach. Yeah, microplastic. It's the programming oh, microplastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so so you know, but it has a lot of advantages. But you know, you you do sometimes get into this day where it's like, oh well, that means this needs to be async, which means this one. Which means this one, which well, I'm just going to rewrite the whole thing at this point. Yeah, everything's yeah. async, and you, yeah. you feel like you're just scattering the async keyword everywhere. Yes, and, and that, right. that's not without cost. Yeah. Um, but before we move on to like things like cost and what, how it's actually what's going on under the hood a little bit more, I was going to sort of make the observation that I don't think I made clear when we were talking about the the word counting example, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we've made written these like individual async functions that count the number of lines in a file by async opening it and then async for each reading lines or however that works but then you mentioned gather as like a primitive operation and Mm -hmm. that is a key to actually unlocking the uh, multiple outstanding io requests at once right so in this instance you know one could write the code uh at the top level that says for i in each of the files i want to word count async await that word count of file Mm -hmm. zero you know, to- running mm-hmm. total plus equals that. Um, but you would still be back in the world of single th- single uh, file happening at once. You're just doing it asynchronously. Yeah, yeah. And that event right. loop hasn't got any other work to do. So it'll just yeah, sit there and yeah, go, yeah. okay, I just, I'm literally in select now blocking for that file to become ready. And then right. I call you back. And then you're no better off. You're slightly worse off. But the gather primitive operation you talked about takes yeah. a bunch of future objects of some description be they promises or futures or coroutines or async whatevers and it says okay all of these we want to kick them all off at once at Mm -hmm. once again there's not any threading so it doesn't actually happen at once each one is run until it gets to a point where it yields yeah but then i come back and do the next one then the next one the next one and now i have multiple io requests in flight and then whichever one of those comes back first i will service and it goes into the event loop and now that uh, file is open and say so that um, coroutine is starting to process the first mm-hmm. file or the second file and so on so um, that is the equivalent of spawning threads at that point that's how mm-hmm. you get the parallelism is uh, by is by gathering a bunch of uh, async awaitable things and I think that's that's another thing to sort of bear in mind is how coroutines um, interact with this because languages that don't have coroutines uh, or something like coroutines make it's it's, it's a diff- becomes a difficult thing. I don't actually you mentioned Ruby and I don't have any mm-hmm. um, experience with with Ruby specifically. Uh, I know Python had coroutines before it had the async and await, and they were mm-hmm. able to be like library level solutions to async await just using coroutines. Mm-hmm. And I know that the async sort of decorator is a spin on always forcing an object, a, a function to return a, a coroutine yeah. as opposed to being an ob, a function called in its own right. So does Ruby have a similar thing? How do you, or was it, you did mention it's like level one and a half, so maybe it didn't have the same. Yeah, I mean, it, it, if it does, I'm unaware of it. When okay. I was using it, Event Machine was was entirely like a, a third third party thing. Right, it was basically. not a language extension, so no, it didn't need. not at all. 
coroutines and again yeah. another sort of aspect that that makes write, uh, writing this this kind of code um more tractable is our languages that allow you to do arbitrary captures into lambdas and unnamed objects and things so either you can use those as the callbacks and not worry mm-hmm. about um who owns what uh, or or um you use coroutines themselves so yeah it's it, it i suppose what i'm winding up towards here is that why do other more low-level programming languages like C and C++ <laughs> not really, with a big asterisk footnote, have async await type operations, even though all these other programming languages we're talking about are written in C or mm-hmm. C++, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a, I've got to be a way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, really, I mean, so the the, the trick there is coroutines are a huge unlocker they're the thing that allow you to suspend a function and carry on again a bit later on in that function mm-hmm. i know i described it as it being syntactic sugar for like cutting a function into two functions and there is a way you can do that and i believe the first version of c sharp that introduced this had that kind of rewriting technique behind the scenes it was just literally rewriting the code as blocks of of mm. um of um, follow on continuation functions one after another but um, in modern times, um, these are coroutines that can yield. That means they literally say, hey, I'm not finished yet, but I'm going to return a value to my caller. And that value mm-hmm. to the caller indicates that, yeah, I haven't finished. So go do something else and then you can call me back and then it will continue from where I left on. And in that traditional classic coroutine um, sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, The problem with that is that you need to be able to keep around all of the internal state of a function between calls to that function. You need to be able to suspend and resume. Right. Going back to our original like operating system level threads, that's what the operating system knows how to do. And it's it's meat and potatoes. Right, right. It knows how to suspend a, a, a thread and page in switch in a new thread you know restore all the state from that and and at an arbitrary point it's kind of like a hostile takeover right at any point <laughs> right. in time the operating system can say you've had enough cpu now i'm just coming in i'm saving your registers and you'll never know that i'm about to start using the cpu for something else and mm-hmm. later on you'll wake up dazed and confused and won't even know what happened <laughs> right right um, yes. and what the coroutine does is this is like this is a cooperative choice i need to be able to preserve enough of my state at this point for you to continue doing some other piece of work. But then yeah. when you come back to me, I can continue where I left off. And yeah, for yeah. interpreted languages, that's usually as straightforward, and I'm going to use air quotes that our listeners can't see, as storing the interpreter state for mm-hmm. that function up to the point, up to some point where you know you don't need to store higher up. Maybe that's where the, the event loop started or whatever. Um, and then you can resume by just jumping back into the bytecode with that kind of information around. And usually they're garbage collected as well. So any anything that you had references to will still naturally still exist because they still have a reference count or they still have a, they, they still have something pointing at them. So you can mm-hmm. just carry on just. Uh, in C and C++, you have the problem of, well, it's arbitrary assembly instructions and the compiler needs to know how to hang on to things like the stack. And there is a single stack. It is the stack it's not a stack when you have multiple threads you have multiple stacks by default but in a coroutine you deliberately don't necessarily want that it becomes more complicated so so then to the footnote the big asterisk i said earlier (laughs) coroutines 
are now here for C++, but it is the beginning of the process. So the really interesting way that coroutines have been brought into C++ is that the keywords co-await and co-yield, and I'm sure there's another one. Gosh, I can't believe I can't remember the other one now. They are in the language now, but they're sort of batteries not included. They're very, very low-level primitives that the language is making promises. And then the STL, the standard template library, does not yet have much in the way of support scaffolding for you. So mm-hmm. if you, you want to write coroutines, you can roll your sleeves up and write a whole bunch of like complicated state management code, and you can do it. And there are, there are also some cool libraries that do some of this stuff for you. But the expectation, as I understand it, is over the next couple of cycles of the C++ committee, every three years meeting, then um, the sort of predominant best solution for um, a whole bunch of things to do with execution and uh, other things will come to the fore. And that will become the way that we think about these 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 coroutines and how they exist in a bit bigger in a wider context. And yeah. then once those building blocks are in place, maybe there will be some async uh, routines and async libraries that we can use, yeah, yeah, which yeah. will be great. Yeah. So, obviously, I was just me steering it my way there to, to talk about my own <laughs> thing. Which, and again, I've I, I've seen people use the co co yield and co uh, await stuff um, mm-hmm. in sort of like toy examples, but I've never used it myself in anger. Yeah. And um, although this is not async await at all, because coroutines are separable from async await, um, you can right. build async await with them. Uh, coroutines are really really cool for things like writing emulators where you want multiple very lightweight processes think mm-hmm. every single device wants to have hey another clock tick happened right and right. you want to be able to write code that looks not like uh, the traditional you know poll you know everyone's written poll where you have like a state mm-hmm. machine and every single um element on that's being polled and the state machine is like, hey, every time you have a call poll, you have to do switch. What's my current state? Oh, case waiting for this. Oh, okay. Well, then I guess I'll do this type of thing. And it's really convenient to be able to just do some, write like a, uh, a video uh, chip that just says, you know, await next cycle, draw two mm-hmm. pixels. Await next cycle, draw two pixels in a, in a for loop that's as wide as the screen. And then you do the, oh, and now do the thing that happens at the edge of the screen, await another cycle. And, and yeah, you just yeah. write straight line code like you were the video chip and there was no one else in the world except every time there's a cycle, you say, okay, I'm done for this clock tick. Now someone else mm-hmm. gets a go. And, and mm-hmm. you don't mm-hmm. use threads for that because the synchronization cost is staggeringly high for that. And the work right. that you're doing in between them is tiny. But it's inconvenient to write the normal poll stuff. So anyway, that is a complete aside, and I have never, I've not uh, yet written a, a coroutine-based emulator, but I would like to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's sort of go back to some of the other languages we were talking about earlier. I know, I know, we 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 have spoken about Java before mm-hmm. now. Um, is there an equivalent for Java? Uh you know, I'm a little embarrassed to say that I don't know. There's nothing embarrassing about not knowing things. Yeah. I don't. We should make I that clear. Know. I feel like I should know this. That's why. I mean, there's lots of things I don't know. Let's be real clear on that. All right. But, okay. <laughs> um, but I feel like I, as much, uh, as much as I've done with the JVM and with asynchronous programming, I've never. I guess doesn't Closure have like an async? I think it does. So there must be yeah. a mechanism for, for it. And again, yeah, well, I mean, it's it, well, to your point, it's like you can build these things on top of lower level languages and they work just fine. But I actually don't know if there's one in Java. Um, the the one one point that you made me think of, though, when you were talking about the, the sort of um, 
you know, the C++ introduction of this is that I would imagine that that means that the C++ community and standard library is going to face the same situation that is true in Python, that is true in a few of these other languages that have introduced this, where you sort of get this bifurcation of the standard right. library into like, well, these are the like asynchronous, you know, non-blocking calls, and these are the you know, these are the star-bellied snitches, and they're, <laughs> between the two, you know, you you kind of don't want to cross, uh, and so you sort of have to make your choice. Um, and if you if you have to go back and, and sort of retrofit it, it sucks. But it it, it in a lot of cases me- means you either have to spend a lot of time figuring out how to um, unify the duplication between those two worlds, yeah, in a way that makes sense, or just duplicate it you just we're just gonna do everything twice the async way and the sync way um and you know that can that can definitely be uh create confusion and and make it make it harder to use things but if you want to be able to take advantage of this that's what you need to do yeah yeah i don't know about that actually um i know that the boost library asio which is the asynchronous io library Mm-hmm. Um, is one of the things that's been talked about for being standardized as the network library of mm-hmm. um, C++. And maybe maybe part of the reason why all, the, all these things are taking longer than people thought is that there is this kind of unification discussion going on. And, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I don't know much about that myself, but um, I'm sure if we found some people, uh, we could find some people who wanted to talk about this kind of stuff, but I, it, it's... <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm very much more a user of C++ than than anyone too uh, deep in the details of how it's uh, uh, how it's yeah. designed. But yeah, and I know that this is the kind of thing that people think about a lot, and that's one of the reasons why, arguably, the C++ uh, standard library is mostly. I was going to say impoverished. That's a terrible, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a pretty impoverished standard library when it comes to um, non like actual pragmatic things like yeah, yeah. opening files, reading every line of a file or whatever. You're, it's kind of, mm-hmm. well, there's this very high level um, concepts now and uh, uh, algorithms that you can use. You know, if you want to do some some of the more ob- obscure um, uh, partial sorting of an arbitrary array, that's not even an array, it's just iterator pairs of things. You know, you can mm-hmm. do all these clever things, but if you want to find... Um, the the full stop at the end, or if you want to like trim the last character off a string, then you just yeah, have to yeah. do it using those algorithms. You don't just have a dot remove last or whatever, or you know yeah, dot uppercase yeah. and dot lowercase. You know all those kind of niceties don't come, but mainly because they aren't necessarily as general purpose as uh, as one might imagine. You know, like what does it mean to be uppercase? Well, what locale? Oh, now you've got all these questions, right? You know, yeah, a lot of other yeah. languages go, Meh, but yeah, we just want to print something out in shout caps. You know, that's important to me, not like right. the general. So I think that is. Uh, Definitely a factor in the um, the the slower adoption of these new technologies is because they want to do it right, mm-hmm. knowing that it mm-hmm. kind of has a certain persistence. It stays on for a long, long time. There is, you know, it's it's worse than glitter for the C plus uh, plus uh, <laughs> committee. They have to make decisions that are basically forever decisions. They yeah. never really go back on stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, another point that you made that I I wanted to briefly touch on was the the sort of performance impacts and oh, like. Yeah. 
I, I definitely have made the mistake myself and I've seen other people make the mistake of sort of just throwing threads at a problem when they have a performance problem. It's like, oh, I'll just break the work up and distribute it across threads and then it'll be faster, right? And, you know, the answer is not always. Um, if, if the cost of crossing those thread boundaries is higher than the actual amount that you save by breaking up the work and the you know cost of reassembling it when you're all done, you can actually make it slower and more complicated at the same time. Yeah, um, brilliant. Which is not not great. And so, you know, one of the advantages of, of having a sort of single threaded, you know, event loop style, um, whether it's with async keywords or not, is that you don't have to pay the, not only do you have not have the, the sort of programmer complexity problems of crossing thread boundaries, but you also don't have to pay the performance hit of crossing thread boundaries. And if you can sort of structure your work in, in such a way that you can, um, you know, take advantage of the non-blocking IO while keeping the CPU busy, you can actually get like very good throughput by doing that. Um, and, you know, sort of avoid some, some tricky performance problems of like, oh, yeah, why is this queue, every time I go to read from the queue and it blocks, like it really slows things down. I right. keep the queue full. And even when it keeps the queue full, it still slows down. What's going on here? You know, all yeah, those yeah. I think kinds of things. It's it's an important distinction you make there. Like if, if, uh, if you are predominantly I.O. bound, then you can definitely take advantage of a event based system because mm -hmm. like you said like if you're keeping the cpu busy then sort of by definition when the cpu is finished doing whatever it's doing now there's always something new for it to do because some other io event has completed and someone mm -hmm. who was waiting for a read has now got it or someone who was waiting for a write to drain has got the the okay that it's gone um but it's easy to fall in the situation and this is i mean this is what compiler explorer suffers from right if you hit mm -hmm. compiler explorer uh some of the work that it does on the event thread so like the 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 web server itself is running like this everything in node.js which is what compiler explorer is written in um is is a uh, uh, continuation passing style mostly although we're slowly moving to us async await actually um style of uh, of work which means every web web request is like an io thread as far as we're concerned io mm -hmm. response um every now and then when we've actually got the results of a compilation so for us, um, another piece of I.O. is we ran the compiler. It's another process. And as far mm -hmm. as we're concerned, we're awaiting it now. So like right. we can be serving more web responses. We can be giving the favicon.ico to whoever wants it. <laughs> and then when the com right. comp compiler is finished in its own process somewhere else in a little sandbox, we're going to read the results back in and we're going to parse it so that we can give something back to the web browser that's renderable. That is totally CPU bound. And for like large programs that have mm -hmm. 20, 30, 40,000 lines of assembly output, it can take us a long while. Meanwhile, we are essentially blocking any other web request that's coming in that's unrelated to that for that one node. Now we have low balancing, we have multiple physical computers that are doing the work. So that's less mm -hmm. of a problem. But our CPU is 100% wedged and we can't do the other work that is available to us. Now, if we had mm -hmm. threads, that would yep. not be true. And so yep. we've discussed having worker threads for exactly this thing, in which case, actually, just to sort of square this off, um, we would probably kick off that parse, the assembly output, and return me like the dictionary that I need to send to the user. That would be a worker thread. And then we would mm -hmm. await the thread coming back. You know, we'd right. like, hey, yes. kick off the thread and then await the results. And now we're back in the land of async await. It's just yeah. a, just like running the compiler, the result of parsing the output becomes itself an async IO inverted commas thing as for at least as far as we're concerned. Right, so there right, are kind right. of ways of making everything fit together. Um, 
I think yeah. the other thing I think about with performance, you mentioned about crossing thread boundaries, as it were. Obviously, thread boundaries are typically not very expensive in the general sense because they're mm-hmm. in the same process. You can actually affect the same right. memory as the other Yes, things. for good or for evil. For good affect- or for evil, exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, so obviously yeah. the locking is where it starts to become right. more tr- troublesome. And, and you yeah. mentioned queues, so you did sort of cover that exactly as, yeah. as one would want. But that hidden inside that queue is a lock that is going to prevent you from being able to do work once it's either full or there's no work to do, all those kinds of things. Or, you know, you've got the possibility of deadlock and, and other, other issues mm-hmm. like that. Um, but conversely... If you are in uh, async await land and with gay abandon, you're putting the uh, async keyword on every single function you can you can find, even when there isn't any actual awaiting mm-hmm. inside of that function, then you're pessimizing your program because behind the scenes, what that means is that when you call that function, you don't actually get like the, the nuts and bolts that are that yeah. function, which returned an integer now returns a, a future of an integer. Mm-hmm. And you call it first of all, and you get back like a, hey, there's nothing to do yet. And then it gets scheduled on the event loop. Or it could yep. at least if, if someone's awaiting it, right? Now yeah, it's going to yeah, be scheduled yeah. on the event loop, which means there's at least one tick of like the event loop clock before the first line of your function is going to start running. Or mm-hmm. it, it's actually, in, it depends on the implementation. Some of these things do yeah. actually eagerly um, execute. And right. there's a difference between tasks and not and async things in different yep. languages or yep. whatever. But I've at least had definitely some some ex- experiences where I've called a function and gone, why did that not do anything? And you realize, oh, I didn't right. await it, which meant that yeah. all that happened is it called the function to generate like the coroutine context. And then we're like, okay, here's your thing. Mm-hmm. When you want it, it's ready. Yeah, here's this code that I can run for you whenever you like. And you're like, but, but I called now. it. You're like, you didn't call it. No, you didn't. No. You, you, no. Yeah. So there's, you told and me you were going to call it. It's not as, as cheap to do that. You're, you're right. creating these intermediate objects that, that have some setup cost mm-hmm. as well as the actual, maybe you're going once around the horn of the event mm-hmm. loop before you're actually making progress. Now, that mm-hmm. does have some some positive side effects. If you are CPU bound and you're just trying in a really naff way to yield up so this is another compiler explorer anecdotal thing here, and I hope that um, none of my 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 developers who are actually good at developing code are listening, <laughs> who, who contribute code. This is my harebrained ideas, but one thing I consider doing is um, literally putting async await sleep zero mm. into mm-hmm. that big parsing loop. You know, every every just ten thousand loops to just the, to yield it back. Points. Yeah, and it's yeah. of course it's awful, and no one should right. do that. But it's a way of giving someone else a go at the CPU yep. so that yep. at least some progress can be made on those web re- requests that are coming in. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, you asked me earlier about async await and, and Java, and I, I can't, I don't really, I don't really know. But one thing I did see earlier this week that I thought was super interesting as a proposal for Java virtual threads, which might be an interesting middle ground between these two worlds that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the proposal, as I, as I understand it and remember it, um, basically revolves around um, threads that with, when you're executing um, blocking what would normally be blocking I.O. calls within the context of a virtual thread, the, 
JVM underneath the covers will turn those into non-blocking calls for you right? and suspend the execution of the virtual thread to allow other virtual threads to execute, which means you don't have to do the thing that you normally do with threads and pool them. So, you know, you, you never want to spawn should, yeah. thousands and thousands of threads at the same time because you're going to, your operating system threads, because you're going to starve out the operating system and, you know, make, make the, the thread scheduler's job significantly harder. But with virtual threads, you can just go ahead and make as many as you want because they don't, they're not mapped to, um, operating system threads they are and essentially so, async awaiting automatically at the yes. point where the J- jvm says hey you, you called file.open well yeah. rather than file opening i'm gonna a- rewrite that as an async await kind of thing and let another virtual thread take over the this thread capital right. t thread right. like this capital whatever thread, execution yes. thread well, however that's where but obviously you kind of need to opt into that a little bit higher up somewhere where you spawn these virtual threads right and each one of them is essentially a top level coroutine Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. a asyncable um, uh, uh, thing. That's that's a neat solution that doesn't require much change to the code, and you're yeah. still writing straight line code. As far as you're concerned, you're still blocking, and you are yes. blocking, right? Yes. It's just at the point where you would block and rely on the operating system to context switch you. The JVM yeah. says I can context switch you much more cheaply. Right, and right, I'll do right. that here and get someone. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really and one clever. interesting side effect of that that I, I was thinking of is that it avoids this problem that we were just talking about, where you sort of have bifurcate the standard library. Oh, right. Yeah. Like you're just saying, no, no, no. Underneath the covers, it might be bifurcated, but that will never hit the API. You that's will never see really that. Right. Interesting. It's all one thing. Yeah. Um, which is kind of cool because it just sort of reduces the cognitive load on programmers who need to understand how the standard library works. No, that's super awesome. Yeah, that's a really interesting observation i hadn't thought of that but yeah that bifurcation is otherwise a big deal breaker for a lot of people yeah. they're like oh which one are we, you know which yeah. which way are we going to go oh yeah. no that's super cool to finish on i just want to make a couple of observations that amuse me mm-hmm. and that is all these async await style things and again mo- mainly the coroutines that, that i that, that help them be more uh, useful are are the way that operating systems used to work i don't know if you <laughs> did you ever do any windows uh, Windows 3.x development back in the day. No. Windows Windows NT was really the first operating system that I used as a programmer in Anger. The Windows... Uh, in, the, in the Win32 API, which which is still around and about, has like an event loop, right? And uh-huh. I don't know if you've ever looked or remember. Do you remember doing... Did you any do any raw Win32 API stuff, uh, even at, in NT? Because although it wasn't... Um... The way Not... I'm about to describe it, it was the same API. Yeah. So you would do, um, you'd call a get next event effectively, and you'd have a switch statement on get next event. So you do, you know, switch a uh, get message or whatever. The th- I actually can't know. WM get yes. message. Does that yes. ring a bell? I'm now I'm, I'm making actually, up like, stuff because like it's been you're reaching years. into the very depths of my <laughs> my neurons here but yes that does actually ring a bell and then you would sort of you'd pass it all these structures to fill in then it would return the the uh-huh. why you know what's the next message right and it would be you know yeah. wm paint and then you'd be like oh i better draw right. the, or the like a mouse click event right or like a mouse click some, yeah, or yeah. yeah any of these things yes so in um in modern times that's just reading off of an event queue right uh-huh. your, th- your your thread is is uh goes to sleep and uh, you can have many threads. Obviously, they can be doing any other things, but your your sort of UI thread is there mm-hmm. just reading the next message off of that. So as the mouse has moved through your mm-hmm. world or if people are clicking or typing or whatever, you know, you get those events. But but way back in the dawns of time, 
that was how the operating system gave someone else a go. Mm-hmm. You call get message and it's like, oh, I'm suspending you now. There is no preemptive multitasking here. At this mm-hmm. point, we're saving all the registers and we're going to load someone else's registers and memory map. And then gonna, we're going to return to their mm-hmm. get message. And now they get a go on the uh, the CPU. And, um, and um, certainly the, the operating system that I was using prior to Windows, which was Risk OS, had that feel too. You would have to like do this system call that would tell you what the next thing is. And then uh, really it was switching and returning to somebody else, which was a really interesting design because you could do that in user mode. It wasn't that difficult to see how it was saving all the registers and reloading them all back out again. And so you could write your own like cooperatively multitask sort of sub threads within your thread using Mm -hmm. the similar kind of techniques, which was a great way of introducing of like, well, this is how the operating system must be doing it. And I remember having an epiphany moment um, doing exactly that and just having those two routines that would, you know, call a function, which yeah, isn't really calling yeah. a function because the calling that function actually jumps back into and returns from the other functions, call a function function. And then you can ping pong backwards and forwards between the two of them. And it's, it's uh, yeah, just one of those cr- crazy things. So it's kind of come back now, this cooperative yeah. multitasking, which is why I described it as that right at the beginning of this whole conversation. It's right, like, right, it's cooperative right. multitasking. You get to say when someone else gets a go of the CPU. Yeah, yeah. Everything old is new again, my friend. Everything old is new. Well, uh, we've we've covered some things that we are inexpert in, only as like users. <laughs> yes. So I, I do hope that anyone listening to this who's been shouting at the, at the microphone, oh, yes. at the headphones or the, the speakers I'm sure about our listener how... is very frustrated by now. So do tweet us uh, at TWOSCP to let us know all the mistakes we've made, as per usual. Mm-hmm. And uh, until next time, my friend. Yep. You've been listening to Two's Compliment, a programming podcast by Ben Rady and Matt Goodfold. Find the show transcript and notes at twoscompliment.org. Contact us on Twitter at 2CP, that's at T-W-O-S-C-P. Theme music by Inverse Space, inversephase.com. <laughs>